Welcome to the final show of Black History Month. We do this every year. We pick up some artists um, that are game changers from um, Black History. And uh, today we have another artist. Um, I think we talked about um, Sam Cooke last uh, two weeks ago. And today we're talking about another uh, special guy. And uh, Mike, who is this guy we're talking about today? We're talking about jazz saxophone player Sonny Rollins. He's a tenor saxophone player. Um, my personal jazz artist of all time, okay? Miles Davis is a very close second. But uh, Sonny Rollins is amazing. Uh, he's so influential for so many people um, and, and other genres too. Uh, you know, the rock, rock and roll doesn't often cite jazz as a – as a influence, but it is okay. Uh, so many people, especially coming up through the sixties rock and roll scene, uh, particularly even out of England, uh, guys were big jazz fans. Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones, for instance, was a tremendous jazz fan. Uh, guys like, like Sonny Rollins crossed over into, you know, uh, the rock and roll scene in some ways. Um, it, 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 it's just something that when you hear him, it just blows your mind. You know, uh, the guy just got better and better as, as years went on. And he's had an incredible career that's lasted like, you know, six decades, practically seven yeah, decades. Seven decades. He started yes. in I mean, that's like unheard of. Yeah, okay. he started in 1947, years after 1947. Yeah, yeah. To 2014, and, 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 and I'm, glad, I'm glad to say that Sonny Rollins is still alive. He's 92 years old. He hasn't performed in about 10 years because he has respiratory problems. But he lives in New York, do you know? Yeah. Yes. Yes. He lives in. Uh, does he live upstate now? I think. Uh, over well, here, just say New York. I don't know where. Just say. I think. Know, I think he lives in New York City, U.S. That's uh, he did. He did live in New York City up until nine eleven. I think he might have relocated up to upstate, but I'm not sure. Uh, but he is a you know New York born and bred guy. He's from Harlem originally. Uh, you know, played with everybody that you could imagine, from Miles Davis to Coltrane. Oh yeah. Uh, you know everybody, and everybody respected Sonny. Um, it's a great story. It's a it's a uh, a real American story. I mean, his parents were immigrants from the Virgin Islands. 
and uh, you know they they through hard work and education and hard work and perseverance, uh, you know they raised a bunch of kids and one of them was Sonny, who was a incredible is an incredible saxophone player. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, we got a few yep. pictures of him, man. He played. Yeah, that's him when he was older, too, right? Look at him young, man. Yep, yep. It was him, be him really young. <laughs> I think, you know, he started playing when he was a teenager. Um, One record that influenced me <clears throat> in particular was The Bridge. Um, I, I appreciate jazz more and more as I get older. I don't know what it is, but... uh. I first kind of discovered this album in the eighties and uh, was just blown away by really when I didn't know anything about jazz, I just was blown away by it. And uh, it's always stuck with me as one of these albums that just go to kind of thing, just chill out, listen to it, you know, get a little lumped up, you know, it's, it's, it's good. Yeah. To, you know, it's all, it's cool. So, all right. Um, you want me to start here? This is, this is going to be a good one. Yeah, but when I think of jazz, I just like to take like a nice little edible and just travel. <laughs> yep, float. Yep, yep. Well, I'm down with that. What do we got for this guy? Because this guy, look at this guy through the years, man. Look at yeah. that. I know. I know. He's really an amazing figure. He uh, some, he's a, he also very, he takes some great pictures, man. <clears throat> he's a you know he's a regular guy with a great presence and incredible talent to play the saxophone. I mean you know he uh, he transformed jazz. I'll go into all that. Is that the one, the bridge? Yes, that's the album cover. Yeah. All right, so let's go. Let's go into this journey. Okay, now Sonny Rollins was born Walter Theodore Rollins on September seventh, nineteen thirty, in New York City to parents, like I said, from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, he was the youngest of three siblings. He grew up in Harlem, particularly in the Sugar Hill neighborhood. Um, he received his first alto saxophone at the age of seven. He attended Edward W. Stitt, High, uh, Stitt Junior High School and graduated from Benjamin High School in, in East Harlem. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, excuse me, uh, High School in East Harlem. Rollins started as a pianist. He played piano. Wow. But he switched, yeah, he switched to alto sax. And in 1946, at the age of 16, he switched to the tenor sax, which is what he's known for. During his high school years, he played in a band with other future jazz legends like Jackie McLean, wow. Kenny Drew, and Art Taylor. Okay, these guys were all, you know, from New York. After graduating from high school in 1948, Rollins began performing professionally, making his first recordings in 1949 wow. as a sideman with the bebop singer Babs Gonzalez. Uh, Babs was the trombonist. Uh, Babs Gonzalez also had trombonist J.J. Johnson as the arranger of that group. Now, within the next four, four or five months or so, he began to make a name for himself, recording with Johnson and appearing under the leadership of pianist Buddy Powell alongside trumpeter Fats Navarro and drummer Roy Haynes on a seminal type of hard bebop session. In early 1950, so Rollins... Like this guy off the bat started playing with very good musician, but was he yes. like, were you considering him like a prodigy? Like, was he a child prodigy? Um, 
Well, you know, g- g- given the young age he started, okay, I- I'd say he-, he definitely had a talent at a young age. You can call that a child prodigy if you like. Uh, I-, I just think this is a guy that was born to do what he did. You know, started off playing piano uh, yeah. and-, and really like a lot of people do that. You know, you take piano lessons and then you move on to other things because a piano is, you know, to stick with the piano <laughs> is hard. Okay, yeah. you got to, you got to, you know, you got to have one and it, it's got to go with you. And, you know, it's, it's not easy. So yeah. saxophone is a little something you can carry around at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, he could, he could play other instruments too. I believe oh, he, he could, could okay. play other brass instruments. He's very talented. So in early 1950, he had gotten into some trouble and he was arrested for armed robbery. He spent 10 months on Rikers Island before being released on parole. Wow. Now, in 1952, he was arrested again for violating his terms of parole by using heroin. He uh, got involved with heroin at a very young age, um, but he would he would beat it, which is a great story in itself. Um, between 1951 and 1953, he recorded with Miles Davis, the Modern Jazz Quartet, Charlie Parker, and Thelonious Monk. Wow. So he was right. He was right in there with some of the greats. Um, a All breakthrough. Legends. T- totally. <laughs> totally. Now, a, br- a breakthrough arrived in 1954 when he recorded his famous compositions, Olio, Ergin, and Doxy, with a quintet led by Davis that also featured pianist Horace Silver. These recordings appear on the album Bags Groove by Miles Davis. Um, in 1955, Sonny Rollins entered the Federal Medical Center in Lexington, Kentucky. This was, at the time, the only place in America where you can get treated for drug abuse. Wow. Okay, everybody went down to Kentucky, and you it was run by the government. Um, they had just started out with methadone programs in those days, and he was a very early, uh, you know, taker of, of, of methadone. Yeah. Um, it had just become something to help treat heroin addicts and he actually volunteered for it. Wow. Um, but he often worried as he was getting well, he often worried that his sobriety would affect his musicianship, but he would eventually go on to a lot bigger success. Uh, Rollins briefly joined the Miles Davis quintet in the summer of 55 Later that year, he joined the Clifford Brown Max Roach Quintet. Studio albums document his time in that band. Uh, one Clifford Brown and Max Roach, uh, I'm sorry, studio albums document his time in that band are Clifford Brown and Max Roach at Basin Street. That's the name of an album. Yeah. And Sonny Rollins plus four. That that documents his time in that, that uh, quintet. After the death of Brown, and the band's pianist Richie Powell in a June 1956 car crash, Rollins continued playing with Roach and began releasing albums under his own name on prestige records, uh, Blue Note, Riverside, and the Los Angeles label Contemporary. So he was kind of signed up with a bunch of different labels, putting out different things. But I think that's the way it was, right? Because you yes. need different label to go in different like different places, different states. Because I think it wasn't like nationwide with five put stake or 
Take, a few company had you would be yeah you would be tied in with different labels for distribution yeah uh, you know and for actual recording and yeah. the, the labels worked with each other yeah now his widely acclaimed album saxophone colossus was recorded on june 22nd 1956 at rudy van gelder's studio in new jersey with tommy flanagan on piano former jazz messengers bassist doug watkins and his favorite drummer max roach this was rollins sixth recording as a leader and it included his best known composition saint thomas uh, a caribbean calypso based on hold him joe which was a tune that his mother used to sing to him as a child uh, he, he also there was a track called uh strode road and uh maury tat okay which were like fast bebop numbers uh Moritat is really Mac the Knife. It's it's also known as Mac the Knife. You know that song. Yeah. So a long blues solo on saxophone Colossus called Blue Seven was analyzed in depth by the composer and critic Gunther Schuller in a nineteen fifty-eight article. So he was starting to get <clears throat> press, he was starting to get notoriety, he was known for his live shows. Uh one thing well, to mention look at his um, thing, it's a musician, composer. And band leader, a little bit of everything. Did and, he sing? Uh, no, no, it was no, it was all instrumentals. No, he never had a, no, he never had a single with him that I know of. I've never seen that. Um, one thing that has to be emphasized, uh, and I'll, I'm sure I'll bring it up again later in the show, is is he his live show was quite quite different than his studio recordings. Okay, and it was like that through his whole career. Uh, was the live show better? Yeah, I mean, okay. really intense. Uh, he he broke all the rules of jazz. Uh, he really kind of invented. And he's one of the guys that really invented free jazz. Mm -hmm. Okay, which was kind of like free, just whatever you feel, play it. Okay, and you know there was there wasn't as much structure with his kind of stuff than there was with other people that came before him. Um, in the solo, for instance, on St. Thomas, Rollins uses a repetitive rhythmic pattern and variations of that pattern, uh, covering in a few tunes in a tight range, uh, employing a staccato and semi-detached notes, meaning like it, 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 he, he played in, in a staccato sound, which is brief bursts, okay, things like that. Nobody was playing like that on tenor sax, okay? The only other guy that did stuff like that, staccato kinds of things, like Miles Davis, okay, and that was on the trumpet. A little bit different, you know. This is um, uh, this is interrupted by a sudden flourish, utilizing a much wider range before returning to a former pattern, meaning he would go off on a tangent with these staccatos and then kind of bring it back to the original rhythm. Mm. On that particular track, uh, there was a calypso rhythm used, which would be something that Rollins would use often in his songs. Okay, a calypso rhythm. Nobody was doing that as well. Nah, nobody was doing no. that. In 1957, Sonny Rollins would marry actress model Dawn Finney. And if you ever see a picture of her, she was beautiful. Uh, they would last about a year, unfortunately. Um, in, 19, in 1956, he also recorded Tenor Madness using Miles Davis's group uh, which was pianist Red Garland, bassist Paul Chambers, and drummer Philly Joe, uh, Joe Jones. 
The title track is the only recording of Sonny with John Coltrane on it, too, who was part of Davis's group at that time. So at the end of the year... So you, talk, you know, those musicians, because, you know, like when we talked about Miles Davis, he was a very picky guy. So the musician right. had to be, they were damn good, you know. Oh, yeah. Now, he had the, Miles had the cream of the crop. And just for Sonny to even be able to use these guys, yeah. <laughs> you know, Miles My, wasn't going to allow that, okay, yeah. for anybody. So, you know, he it really, it really shows the status he was at. Yeah, and he hadn't even really he hadn't even really broke yet. Okay, he was still kind of you know a little bit underground with what he was doing. But at the end of that year, Sonny appeared as a sideman on Thelonious Monk's album *Brilliant Corners*, and also recorded his own first album for Blue Note Records, entitled *Sonny Rollins Volume One*, with Donald Byrd on trumpet, Winton Kelly on piano, Gene Ramey on bass, and Roach again on drums. In 1957, Rollins pioneered the use of bass and drums without a piano as the accompaniment for his saxophone solos. It was a texture called strolling. Okay. In those days, every jazz band had a pianist, pretty much. Okay. And he would take that out. Okay. And it would be a totally different style. And they called it strolling. Uh, to early, two early tenor bass drums trio recordings are uh, Way Out West, that was the name of an album, and A Night at the Village Vanguard, which is a fantastic live record, uh, both recorded in 1957. Way Out West was so named because it was recorded for California-based contemporary records with Los Angeles drummer Shelly Mann, and because it included country songs, jazz versions of country songs, such as Wagon Wheels and I'm an Old Cowhand. Okay, so he was he was mixing it up, you know, mixing up the genres. The Village Vanguard album consists of two sets: a matinee with bassist Don Bailey and drummer Pete Larosa, uh, Laroca, and an evening set with bassist Wilbur Ware and drummer uh, Elvin Jones. Rollins used the trio format intermittently throughout his career, sometimes taking the unusual step of using his sax as a rhythm section instrument during bass and drum solos. Wow. Yeah, Lou, Lou Tabakin cited Rollins' pianoless trio as an inspiration to lead his own. Uh, Joe Henderson, Davis, David S. Ware, Joe Lovano, Branford Marsalis, and Joshua Redman have all led pianoless sax trios. Wow. Okay. While so in Los Angeles. started that, right? Yes. Uh, it, was, it was almost unheard of to not have a piano. Okay, and, and he 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 did that while in Los Angeles in 1950. Let me ask you another question. So, will you consider um, the album um, the at night? Um, what a, what the hell? Night of Vanguard. Yeah, will you consider that like a must own a must a live album? You must own if you're a jazz fan. Yeah. If you like, will you put on this because we never really put jazz. We yeah, we oh oh you mean like the like. The you know five great live albums you need to have the yeah, series we've done before. You consider yeah. that was one of them to put up. In that uh, you list? know, I, I I think I may do that next time we do that because we haven't really included any jazz records in that. It might be cool cool to do that. Uh, I mean, you know, we could extend that out too. I mean, you could even talk about like Sinatra live at the Sands, which is like 
one of the greatest live albums ever. And not, not just not just for the music, it's for the banter in between with the audience. It's fucking hilarious. I think we should do like a show like that five album that not rock and roll, but like jazz or weird stuff. Yeah, jazz or vo you know, you know, vocals and things like yeah. I mean, all right. It's a, you know, Rob, I love you, man. You're always thinking ahead. <laughs> now, while in LA in 1957, Rollins met alto saxophonist Ornette Coleman, and the two of them practiced together. Coleman, a pioneer of free jazz, stopped using a piano about two years later after meeting Sonny. Wow. Now, by this time, Rollins had become well known for taking relatively banal or unconventional songs like. Uh, there's no business like show business, uh, to Tootsie songs like that, uh, and and kind of turning them into like these jazz numbers. All right, and uh, but he was doing that. No, so he would know, he would improvise. He would he would just make it up on the spot. Okay, he was now, a pioneer then, you know. Absolutely. Now Rollins acquired the nickname Nuke around this time because he looked a lot like Brooklyn Dodger pitcher Don Newcomb. <laughs> he did. He did. If you look at those early pictures of him and Don Newcomb, oh, yeah. would look alike. There's a funny story Is that uh, like, this, or these, like that, like that. Yeah, if you look at find a picture of Don Newcomb. You can you can see they look alike. <laughs> there's there's a funny story where the Brooklyn Dodgers were in town and uh, they were playing. Uh, they were playing a home game against like the Cardinals or somebody, and. Miles Davis and and Sonny were in a cab, and uh, the guy the cabbie turns around. He goes, "You're Don Newcomb." So he he played along with it. He's like, "Yeah," and he told the he told the you know he told the cabbie about how he was going to throw certain pitches at with to the Cardinals that night and like what he was going to do. He's making up the whole fucking thing. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> yeah, that guy probably went to his grave thinking he met Don Newcomb. You know. <laughs> So, in 1957, uh, he made his Carnegie Hall debut and recorded again for Blue Note with Horace Silver on trombone, Thelonious Monk on piano. We had piano at Carnegie, and drummer Art Blakely. Uh, it was released as Sonny Rollins Volume 2. That December, he and fellow tenor saxophonist Sonny Stitt were featured together on Dizzy Gillespie's album, Sonny Side Up. Sonny as in S-O-N-N-Y, Sonny. You know what? We're not even halfway to it. It's like the who's who's in jazz business that this guy played with, man. Like, wow. Amazing. Yep. And um, like the beginning of his career. He's not yeah. Even I mean, he's only, he's only like, he's not even 30. <laughs> All right. So in 58, he appeared in Art Kane's A Great Day in Harlem, uh, which was a photograph, actually, it was a picture of jazz musicians in New York. Uh, if you see that picture now, He's the only person still alive. Okay. Uh, actually, excuse me. That's not true. He's one of two. Uh, Sonny, and then there's uh, a guy named Benny Golson that's okay. still alive today. The same year, Rollins recorded another landmark piece for saxophone, bass, and drum trios called Freedom Suite. His original sleeve notes said on it, how ironic that the Negro, who more than any other people, can claim American culture as his own is being persecuted and repressed that the Negro who has exemplified the humanities in his very existence is being rewarded with inhumanity. It was during this time that, 
you know, the civil rights era was beginning. Yeah. Uh, this was 10 years before the assassination of Martin Luther King. Um, but uh, Sonny was uh, was involved with this a little bit. Uh, you know, he had experienced racism in his life. Uh, a lot of the jazz guys did. There's a famous story in the 50s how Miles Davis got beat up in front of uh, the club he was playing at on 57th Street by the cops. They didn't know who he was, and he was going in a car or something, and they, they asked him, and next thing they're just beating the shit out of him. You know, so these these things happened, and uh, you know, Sonny would would kind of you know he he didn't he he wasn't so much in the forefront like even Sam Cooke was okay, uh, but he definitely was involved with the civil rights movement as time went on. So now, will he, uh, will he be part of that Green Green Book? Like if he went away somewhere to play jazz in other places, or was he only playing in New York City? Um. At this time, he was probably staying local. Uh, if he went anywhere, maybe he went to Chicago or you know okay. someplace like that. Uh, jazz, jazz guys, even in those times, they kind of stay in urban areas. Uh, from what I've seen, that uh, they weren't part of like that. You know, I, I could I could be wrong. I could be wrong because there was the Chitlin circuit and all that. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, is that what you're thinking there? of? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think he had done that at that time, okay? Uh, but if he was going to play the Deep South, he would have had to have been part of that. Okay. All right, so, but I'm not sure if he did or not. Uh, I, I imagine that there were so many clubs that, I mean, you know, uh, in the West 50s in New York, in the East 50s, in the West 50s in New York City, there were so many jazz clubs, okay? So he could just play from one to the other, you know? Yeah. He didn't have to go right. anywhere. Now, the title track for uh, um, Freedom Sweep is a 19-minute improvised bluesy okay, song. The other side of the album features uh, hard bop workouts of popular show tunes. Okay, so he was reworking famous show tunes. Uh, Oscar Pettiford and Max Roach provided bass and drums, respectively. Uh, this LP was available only briefly in its original form, but the record would then be shortly after repackaged and called Shadow Waltz, the title of another piece on the same record. Not sure why they did that, but it looks like the, the record came out, then it came out under another title not too long after. Now, following Sonny Rollins and the Big Brass, which was also called Sonny Rollins Brass or Sonny Rollins Trio. Rollins made one more studio album in 1958. Uh, Sonny Rollins and the Contemporary Leaders was before taking a three-year break from recording. This was a session for Contemporary Records and saw Rollins recording an esoteric mixture of tunes, including Rockabye Your Baby with a Dixie Melody, uh, he was also playing with a West Coast group made up of pianist Hampton Hawes, guitarist Barney Kessel, bassist Leroy Vinegar, and drummer Shelley Mann. In 1959, Sonny Rollins turned turned to Europe, toward Europe for the first time. Okay, wow. so he, was, he left the country in 1959. He performed in Sweden, the Netherlands, Germany, Italy, and France, where he was very, very well received. 
Um, for a black guy, you know, like you know, for a black Europe, country, no, like, Europe, Europe, Europe wasn't like that. Okay. Uh, Miles Davis, for instance, loved playing France. Okay. Okay. Uh, he got on very well with the women there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and uh, he there wasn't that there wasn't any that kind of racism that existed here at that time. Okay. okay. Uh, the, the jazz artists were very well received. You know, Europe in those days is kind of, was kind of like what Japan has always been. Like they just love American things. Yes, okay. Take, Europe in those times, they, they loved it. Yeah. Especially okay. blues and jazz and stuff like that. Now by 1959, Rollins was frustrated with what he perceived as his own musical limitations and he took the first of several musical breaks from his career. While living on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, uh, he ventured up to the pedestrian walkway on the Williamsburg Bridge to practice. Uh, he would practice, you know, 12, 13 hours a day up there. The reason he was doing that was because he didn't want to make noise in his apartment. And he had a neighbor next door that was pregnant and you know he was just trying to be courteous so he was going up on the bridge uh and he practiced in all kinds of weather all seasons okay uh the actual there's a on the location of that that spot it's on like clinton and delancey street there's now like a a 15 story building in yeah. in what was on top of that building and the building is called the rollins wow okay they named it after him uh, now, almost every day from the summer of 1959 through the end of 1961, Sonny could be found practicing on the bridge next to, to the subway tracks on the pedestrian walkway. Uh, Rollins admitted he would practice up to 16 hours a day despite the weather or whatever else was going on. So in the summer of 61, uh, journalist Ralph Burton happened to pass by him walking across the bridge and wrote a whole article about it in Metronome Magazine, which was oh, a jazz okay. magazine about that whole happening, how he's up there practicing. Because he kind of dropped out. He dropped He dropped off the map. He felt that um, he could be better. I think this is something that Sonny did through his whole career. He always felt he could be better. And he would take breaks at times and go away for a couple of years. And in this particular time, he uh, got into yoga and Eastern philosophies and I things think like that. You need that. You just need that break away from the business, just you know, and then you can reinvent yourself and decide what you want to do. Uh, create new music or you know, new style. You know, it's never bad to take a small break because I think no. sometimes you continue going out there, you get burned you out. Get burned out, yeah. Right, right. And not only that. Remember, the the, the, the man had a heroin addiction. Okay. Yeah. Now he, you know, he was on methadone and he was beating it, but he yeah. was also playing with guys that were probably getting high. Okay, because oh, yeah. it was but very was prevalent. It was very prevalent in the jazz scene. Miles Davis had a bad heroin habit. You know, uh, this was something that was part of the whole scene. So he had to be around that a lot, and that had yeah. to be hard. So I imagine taking a break was probably good just for his sobriety as well. You know. Now in November in November 1961, oh, I got to mention too before I go into this is in 2016 there was a movement to rename the Williamsburg Bridge after him. 
Oh, wow. Okay, it's still out there trying to get that done. I don't see it happening, but you never know. You never know. It could it could happen. I mean, I guess if they raise enough money or, you know, whatever it is. In uh, November of 61, Rollins returned to the jazz scene after a couple of years, and uh, he had a residency at the Jazz Gallery in Greenwich Village. In March of 62, he appeared on Ralph Gleason's Jazz Casual TV show. During the 1960s, he lived on Willoughby Street in Brooklyn. Okay. He named his 1962 comeback album The Bridge. And uh, it was the start of a new contract he had with RCA Victor. Produced by George Avakian, the disc was recorded with a quartet featuring guitarist Jim Hall, Ben Riley on drums, and bassist Bob Cranshaw. This became one of Rollins' best-selling albums. In 2015, the album was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Wow. One of the greatest albums ever. And I, I, I agree. It is a jazz album that I turn to when I feel like listening to jazz. There's a, I have several, and this is, this is one of them. Uh, Rollins' contract with RCA Victor lasted through 1964. Each album he recorded for RCA was a little bit different than the one that preceded it. Um, the 1962 disc, What's New, explored Latin rhythms. On the album, Our Man in Jazz, recorded live at the Village Gate, he explored avant-garde playing with a quartet that featured Cranshaw on bass, Billy Higgins on drums, and Don Cherry on cornet. He also played with tenor sax legend Coleman Hawkins and free jazz pianist Paul Blay on Sonny Meets Hawk. And he re-examined jazz standards and great American songbook melodies on Now's the Time and the standard Sonny Rollins, which featured a young pianist named Herbie Hancock. Wow. Okay. Now, uh, one thing to mention about uh, about uh, uh, Sonny Meets Hawk, okay, he was playing with, uh, you know, Col Coleman Hawkins, okay, which was like one of his heroes. Okay. Wow. When, he, when he was growing up in, Hall in Harlem, every jazz player wanted to be like Hawkins. All right, so that was really a big deal on that record. In 1963, he made the first of many tours to Japan. Japan loved him, okay? In 2007, recordings from a 1965 residency at Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club in London were released by the Harkett label as Live in London. They offered a very different picture of Rollins playing from the studio albums of the period. Like I said earlier, his live shows were quite different than what you heard on record. Okay. Uh, you could hear it on the live records and just compare it. Or if you ever, you know, back in the day, if you could have seen him, you would know that. He, he really was quite different live than on, in studio. Uh, these particular records, the live in London, uh, are bootlegs. Okay. And they were totally unauthorized recordings that were out there. So Rollins, over the years, he's actually put them out himself. So he kind of bootlegged the bootleggers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and he put them out on his website, and you could check them out. Now, upon signing with Impulse Records, he released a soundtrack to the movie Alfie with Michael Caine in 1966, as well as There Will Never Be Another You and the album Sonny Rollins on Impulse. After East Broadway Rundown in 1966, which featured trumpeter Freddie Hubbard, bassist Jimmy Garrison, and drummer Elvin Jones, 
Rollins did not release another studio album for six years. This second sabbatical he did from music uh, saw Sonny go to Jamaica for the first time. Uh, he also studied yoga, meditation, and Eastern philosophies in India. So, you know, one thing, too, is, is you know, religion was important to him. And he, uh, you know, grew up in, in, in a Christian household, but, you know, would expand his spirituality to Eastern religions and things like that when he got older. And uh, he has said, like, you know, religion and playing are intertwined and, you know, he he just believes in it and likes to re you know really get into it so he went to india to actually learn that stuff so he would take these two years sabbatical it seemed like his time is two years and just i'm not going to do shit fuck yeah him. <laughs> yeah fuck him up i just put out six albums in the last three years i'm taking two years off like that yeah. you know? and i don't blame him you know now he would return in 1971 with a performance in kongsberg norway uh, reviewing a March 1972 performance at the Village Vanguard in New York City, the New York critic Whitney Balliet wrote that Rollins had changed again. Okay, his sound was changing again. He had become a whirlwind. His runs soared, and there were jarring staccato passages and furious double-time spurts. He seemed to be shouting and gesticulating on his horn as if he was waving his audience into battle. Uh, that was the quote from uh, from the, the critique. Yeah. That same year, he released an album called Next Album and moved to Germantown, New York, upstate. Also in 1972, he was awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship composition, All right, which would be one of dozens of awards and, yeah. and, and, and do, you know, uh, honorary doctrines and things like that that he has. During the 1970s and 80s, Sonny became drawn more to R&B, pop, and funk rhythms. Some of his bands during this period featured electric guitar, electric bass, and usually more like funk-oriented drummers. I like this period for Sonny. Uh, it's, it's, it's cool. You know, he's got this like crazy saxophone going with this, these funk rhythms underneath. And with electric uh, guitar and bass, that's very unique, you know? Yeah, and 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 if you remember, like um, uh, like Bitches Brew by Miles Davis yeah. came out in '69. Okay, in '70, I believe it came out '70. So this was a period where where a lot of jazz artists were incorporating funk rhythms into their sound. Not a lot, a few. Okay, and, and Miles was ahead of everybody, and so was Sonny. He was right there too. You know, um, in '74 he added jazz bagpiper. Rufus Harley to his band. He had a bagpiper. Wow. The group was filmed performing live at Ronnie Scott's in London. For most of this period, Rollins was recorded by producer Oren Keepnews for Milestone Records. The compilation Silver City, which was a celebration of 25 years on Milestone, contains a selection from these years. He was on Milestone for many, many years after that. Wow. In 78, uh, McCoy... Tyner, Ron Carter, and Alan Forster toured together with Sonny as the Milestone Jazz Stars. In June of that year, he jammed, uh, I'm sorry, he joined many other jazz artists in a performance for President Jimmy Carter on the South Lawn of the White House. So wow. he's, he's played for presidents. Yeah. Uh, it was also during this period that Rollins' passion for unaccompanied saxophone solos came to the forefront. In other words, just, just him. Just him. 
just in. In 79, he played unaccompanied on The Tonight Show, and in 1985 released The Solo Album, recorded live at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. That's he awesome. also frequently played long, extemporaneous, unaccompanied cadenzas during performances with his band. A prime example of this is uh, introduction to the tune Autumn Nocturne. Uh, on the 1978 album, Don't Stop the Carnival, okay? Uh, really just long, long solos. Uh, a company with a band, but just long solos. Something that nobody was really doing either, okay? Wow. Yeah, so by the 80s, Rollins no longer played nightclubs, okay? He was appearing in either concert halls or outdoor venues, through the late 1990s, he occasionally performed at large New York City nightclubs like Tramps or The Bottom Line. I have to say I got lucky. I saw him once at Tramps. Oh, wow. Yep, that was in 19, I think, 89. I think it was 89. So I was already 34 years ago. Damn. Uh, in 1981, he contributed without credit. Now, you're going to like this. Okay, he didn't get a credit for this, but he... Yeah. Contributed on two Rolling Stone tracks from the album Tattoo You, the song Slave, and he also does the sax solo on Waiting on a Friend. Ah, yeah, Waiting on a Friend. Yep, yep, great saxophone solo on that. Uh, why he got no credit, I'm not sure. It might have been like a record company thing because he was on Milestone. He also uh, might have just done a favor. It's not a favor. Yeah, it could be. Hey, can you come and just do? They probably pay him on the side anyway. He's a few yeah, bucks. yeah. They probably when they're shooting the video, they were in the St. Mark's Grill drinking or something. Who knows? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now that November, uh, he led a saxophone masterclass on French television. Uh, in 1983, he was honored as jazz master by the National Endowment for the Arts. Wow. In, in 1986, documentary filmmaker Robert Mug released a film titled Saxophone Colossus. You can see this on YouTube. It's fascinating. It featured two Rollins performances, a quintet concert at Opus 40 in upstate New York, and a performance with the Yumuri Shimbun Orchestra in Japan for his Holy Concerto crap. for Saxophone and Symphony, a work composed in collaboration with the Finnish, Finnish from Finland, Finnish pianist and composer Heike Sarmanto. Now, yes. Now, the Opus Forty performance is an interesting thing. It's like a, it's in upstate New York. It's uh, a bunch of like sculptures, almost like on a, like a, I don't want to say a cliff, but like a raised area, kind of high up. Yeah. Okay, and and you know he's there with the band, and he's like on the edge of these like rocks and everything. You know, it's it's pretty cool. You know, you can see it on YouTube. The uh, saxophone colossus. Now, um, in 1993, uh, the Sonny Rollins International Jazz Archives opened up. That was at the University of Pittsburgh. New York City, uh, no, City Hall in New York City proclaimed November 13, 1995 to be Sonny Rollins Day. Several days later, Rollins gave a performance at the Beacon Theater that reunited him with musicians with whom he played with as a teenager. Yeah including Jackie McLean, Walter Bishop Jr., Percy Heath, Connie Henry, and Gil Coggins. In 1997, he was voted Jazz Artist of the Year in Downbeat Magazine. Uh, that was a critic's poll. The following year, Rollins 
uh, who was a dedicated environmentalist, uh, released an album entitled Global Warming. And that was in 1997. <laughs> yep. Now, Rollins won a 2001 Grammy Award for Best Jazz Instrumental Album for This Is What I Do. On September 11th, 2001, the 71-year-old Rollins, who lived several blocks away from the World Trade Center on Greenwich Street, was forced to evacuate after the terrorist attacks that day. Wow. Uh, he left with just his saxophone in his hand. Okay, his apartment. Although he was shaken, he traveled up to Boston five days later to play at the Berkeley School of Music. Uh, that live recording uh, would be released on CD in 2005 as Without a Song, the 9-11 concert, which won a Grammy in 2006 for jazz instrumental solo um, for the song Why I Was Born. Wow. Okay. Sonny was presented with the Grammy Award for Lifetime Achievement in 2004. That year, he also saw the death of his wife, Lucille. Okay, he had remarried. Uh, she was a very nice lady. Um, you can see her in Saxophone Colossus, very big supporter of Sonny. Um, in 2006, Rollins went on to complete a downbeat reader's poll, triple, uh, for Jazz Man of the Year. He won number one tennis sax player, recording of the year for the CD Without a Song, the 9-11 concert. The band that year featured his nephew, trombone, trombonist Clifton Anderson, and included bassist Cranshaw and pianist Stephen Scott, percussionist Kimati Dinizulu, and drummer Perry Wilson. Uh, once again, he had a successful Japanese tour, uh, he would return to the recording studio for the first time in five years to record the Grammy-nominated CD, Sonny, Please. Okay, now that was released in 2006. The Sonny, Please title was something that his wife, Lucille, used to say to him all the time. Sonny, Please. <laughs> yeah. The album was released on his own label, Doxy Records, following his departure from Milestone Records after many years and was produced by Anderson. Uh, Rollins' band at that time on this album included Cranshaw, guitarist Bobby Brown, drummer Steve Jordan, and Kimati Dinizulu again on per percussion. Uh, during this these years, uh, Sonny would tour worldwide, playing major venues in Europe, South America, the Far East, uh, the Australian region, including New Zealand. Uh, he is estimated to have sometimes earned $100,000 per performance. Wow. For these shows, um, on September 18th, 2007, he would play Carnegie Hall again in commemoration of the 50th anniversary of his first appearance there. Wow. Appearing with him were Anderson on trombone, Bobby Brown on guitar, Cranshaw on bass, Dinizulu on percussion, uh, Ray Hain on drums, and Christian McBride on bass. So his later year, he kept using almost the same musicians. Same guys, pretty much, yeah. Now, around the year 2000, uh, Rollins began recording many of his live shows, okay, just as an archive. Uh, since then, he has archived actually 250 concerts. Wow. To date, only four live albums have been released from these archives on Doxy Records and OK Records. Uh, these include Roadshows Volume 1 and Roadshows Volume 2 
with four tracks documenting his 80th birthday concert, which included his first ever recorded appearance with Ornette Coleman. And that was on the 20-minute Sunny Man for Two. Roadshows Volume 3 and The Holding the Stage released in April of 2016. So only four of those 250 concerts have actually so, been released. So this guy could be like Tupac. that can release album for the next couple of years. of the Exactly. It's yeah. of, um live on concert recording. Yep, yep. But he's still got 200, 246. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. So in 2010, Rollins was awarded the National Media of Arts and the Edward McDowell Medal in the fall of the same year. He celebrated his 80th birthday concert at the Beacon Theater that included the guest appearance by Ornette Coleman. Uh, the following year, he was the subject of another documentary by Dick Fontaine entitled Beyond the Notes. Sonny Rollins, sadly, because of the respiratory issues, has not performed since 2012 and retired in 2014 officially. Um, I, wonder that, I wonder if he got fucked up from the 9-11 stuff. That might may, may, maybe, maybe. I don't know if he smoked. Probably not. Uh yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, he was, you know, he was 80 years old at the time. You get you get you get things, you know. Oh, so, so you're right over here he'd say he moved up to Woodstock. Yeah, I believe he moved up to Woodstock. Um in 2013, uh that's when he did. He moved upstate. Uh that spring he made an appearance on The Simpsons in the Whiskey Business episode. Uh he also received an honorary doctor of music degree from the Juilliard School of Music in New York City. Wow. Yep, that's a big deal. Um, in 2014, he was the subject of a Dutch television documentary entitled Sonny Rollins, Morgan Spiel ich Beta. He made a public he made a public appearance in June of that. You like my Dutch? You like yeah. my Dutch? Okay. He made a <laughs> he made a public appearance in June of that year, introducing saxophonist Ornette Coleman at an all-star tribute performance to Coleman in Brooklyn. In October of 2015, he received the Jazz Foundation of America's Lifetime Achievement Award as well. In the spring of 2017, Rollins donated his personal archive to the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, one of the research centers of the New York Public Library. Later that year, he, he uh, endowed the Sonny Rollins Jazz Ensemble Fund at Oberlin College in recognition of the institution's long legacy of access and social justice advocacy. Wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, he, you know, is still is still out there. I don't know if he'll ever perform again, but his music is out there and it's being studied and, you know, people are getting turned on to it now, you know, and it's been out there for 60, 70 years. Damn, 70 years of, 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 of yeah. music. Of, and, 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 you know, why was the guy... Was still out there. People would probably still he would probably still do sold out shows and stuff, you know. Yeah. Now, just so you, uh, any of you guys that play sax out there, might want to sound like him. Uh, he played either a Selmer Mark Six tenor sax or a Bosher Aristocrat. Okay, those are his two types. During the seventies, he recorded sometimes with a soprano saxophone opposed to a tenor, uh, particularly for the album Easy Living. His mouthpieces are made by Otto Link and Berg Larson, and he also uses Frederick Hemke medium reeds in those mouthpieces. So that's wow. his secret. That's his secret as far as equipment. Equipment. You'll, you'll never be as good as him, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
wow, Mike, what a what a history, man. That's a lot of years, man. So we had two Sam Cooks and uh Ronan's like very interesting people, man. Wow, what a great job. Um and you can probably listen to his music. It's probably up on iTunes and uh, Spotify, all those stuff. He has a very he has a very active website, SonnyRollins.com. Okay, you can find out a lot about him on there as well. So when I put the show up, I put uh, I'll put the link to his website yeah. too, so people be a good can reach idea. out to him and stuff. You know? It's yeah, like, that would be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike, if people want to get in touch with you, ask you a question or. Find out uh, what what's on what's coming up in the next couple of shows because you're very active Facebook where you're not in Facebook jail. <laughs> yeah, Facebook. I'm on I'm on the Facebook shit list. It's always like that uh, when you speak the truth. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Facebook on the Rock O Mike because they won't let me be Rocker Mike. I'm Rock O Mike. Of course, the Rock Show podcast group page. Uh, we've got over a thousand members on that. It does very well. That's on Facebook, Rock Show Podcast group page. Um, you can find me on Twitter under Rocker Mike 212. You can find me on Instagram under Rocker Mike 212. Everywhere else, Cloud Hub, MeWe, Getter, Truth Social, uh, Parlor. Just look under Rocker Mike. I'm active on there. Uh, yes, and Get the Bridge. That is the bridge, a, an yeah, right here. That's the album. That's my, my, my personal favorite, but all his stuff is good. Um, check him out. I mean, it, you know, it's a, it's a life changing thing when you when you get into something like that, you know, it changes your life. And uh, take a gummy you, while you're listening to him, it helps. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> all right, where can we find you, Rob? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and um. Pretty much most social media. When you if you want to send me a few lines, Facebook is always the best. Wow. Even um, Insta Instagram uh, Messenger, you can send me a message if you guys want to have a conversation or anything. And um, other than that, man, um, Black History one was sounds like a bunch of good shows that we did. We did uh two uh, rock shows and two conspiracy shows. Yep. Um. And then one of the conspiracy show, uh, Rockers, my uh, Rocker Mike's wife was on the show, Sandy, and she scared the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah. You're still afraid of the Lugaru? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she said that I know one. I don't. I don't want to know about that. <laughs> I don't want to know who that is. <laughs> Just oh, don't man. be open near me, please. So, all right, people, have a happy February. We see you in March with a bunch of brand new shows. And this year, um, St. Patty falls on a Friday, so I'll be seeing you people out there having a few drinks and getting lumped up. There's no excuse not to get lumped up. <laughs> Friday night, people. All right. Have a good one. And remember, don't get drunk. Get lumped up. See you next time. Take care, people. <laughs>
Let's go. Let's 